book of Judges. We'll begin in chapter 1. There's a popular proverb that says, those who cannot remember the past are doomed to repeat it. Well, as Christians, we believe that history is not cyclical, but that it is linear, that it continues, it has a beginning point, and it continues and will have an end point in time. So history is moving in a specific direction. It's under God's guidance, and it will accomplish His purposes. Therefore, history itself does not repeat. However, we can repeat the same mistakes that people in the past made. We can get caught in a cycle that doesn't seem to end. We may repeat the mistakes of our parents and their parents, sometimes even their parents, and get stuck in this cycle that continues on and on and on. As we read through the book of the Judges here in these next few weeks, you may discover that some of the mistakes that they dealt with resemble our own. In fact, the world that we will encounter in this book has several frightening resemblances to our contemporary society. There's violence. There's political disorder. There's objectification of other human beings, especially women. There is the absence of public faith. There's the absence of private faith. There's sexual scandals. And there's the notion that truth does not exist. These are all found in the book of Judges, but does it sound familiar? The book is summed up in this repeated theme that we're going to see over and over. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and we'll see how that worked out for them, and perhaps it will enlighten us and how we might need to change our ways. So let me warn you, As we get into the book of Judges, the book is dark, and that's the point, to show how dark human beings are when they turn from God. It's that darkness that leaves us yearning for a king who comes to give order and who gives meaning to life, and ultimately we find that, we find that king in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we won't have time to cover everything that's in the book of Judges. I could easily do about 20 sermons out of the book of Judges. I'm assuming you don't want me to do a 20-week series. So I'm going to try about six or seven uh, uh, Sundays. Uh, So we won't be able to read all of it. There will be parts that we skip over. There will be parts in each of our messages that we will uh, skim over. And so if you want to go back and read those on your own time and get a a greater understanding of what's going on, I encourage you to do that. So what we're going to do is look at some of these broad themes. So I'm going to to paint with some broad strokes here as we go through the book of Judges. But before we get into it this morning, let us take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word that you've given to us, that we know that it is inerrant, it is infallible, Lord, it will not fail, and it contains no errors. You have put in it exactly what you want for us to know. And Lord, this book that we're going to begin studying today is a dark book. And Lord, we know that you're trying to tell us something through it. 
So Lord, I pray that you would bring that out to us, and that it would penetrate our, our not only our heads, but our hearts. That we would understand it, and that it would, it would challenge us, and it would turn our hearts toward Christ and toward you. So Lord, I pray that as your word goes out, that it would accomplish your purpose this morning. I pray this in the holy and precious Son, in the holy and precious name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Begin with me in verse number 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord, Who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have handed the land over to him. Judah said to his brother Simeon, Come with me to my territory and let us fight against the Canaanites. I will also go with you to your territory. So Simeon went with him. When Judah attacked, the Lord handed the Canaanites and the Perizzites over to them. They struck down 10,000 men in Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, fought against him, and struck down the Canaanites and the Perizzites. The book of Judges comes immediately after the book of Joshua. And placement in the way the Bible is put together is important. Joshua is an important figure in Israel's history. He had taken over leadership of the the nation of Israel. He was a mediator between God and and the nation, just as Moses was. He he was the second Moses, so to say. And, And so while Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land because he had sinned against God... Joshua was given the task. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man through much of his life. And so Israel was to follow Joshua. And they were to go into the, the land of Canaan, and they were to drive out all of those pagan nations that were living there, for the Lord had given the land to them. They were to go in and to drive them out, and Joshua led them, in doing this, and he led well. He led well. The Israelites succeeded in driving out many of the nations of Canaan, and there's some great stories of how God accomplished victory, or gave them the victory. But the time came when Joshua was too old to fight. And about midway through the book of Joshua, God says, Joshua, you've gotten too old to fight. The land that you already possess... I want you to take that land. I want you to divide it and distribute it amongst the tribes of Israel. And so the book of Joshua closes with Joshua dividing the land up amongst the tribes that they already possessed with a challenge to continue to go and follow the the will of the Lord to drive the nations out so that they could establish themselves as a holy nation. And so he gives this book... Uh, in the book of Joshua, he gives this farewell speech to Israel. And I want us to look at one part of that. So it, mine's just across the page, hopefully yours as well. But Joshua 24, in verses 14 and 15, we, a familiar speech for those of us who've grown up in the church. But listen to what he says. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourselves today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worshipped 
beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in the land that you're living. But as for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. And the people responded to Joshua's challenge by reaffirming that they would remain true to Yahweh, the God of Israel who had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. They said three times, they swore, we are going to stay true to Yahweh. We will not abandon the Lord. So that's how the book of Joshua ends. And then we go into the book of Judges, and it begins with the death of, Josh, of, the death of Joshua. Joshua's died. The people have no leader now. And so they ask God, God, who is going to lead us in continuing the work that you have for us? Who is going to lead us to conquer the land? And God tells them that Judah, the tribe of Judah, is to be the leader and to continue the conquest. So Judah and Simeon, they begin with great success. They, they go out and they begin to drive out the enemies. The Lord delivers the enemies to them. And so with great enthusiasm, with great vigor, they jump into the task that God had given to them. And they see these great victories. They, they defeat a king who had defeated 70 other kings and cut off their thumbs and, so, and toes. And so they capture this king and they cut off his thumbs and toes and send him away. And, but then he dies. And then they capture the city of Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is going to become very important later on, but this is where Jerusalem falls under Israel's reign. And it seems like everything's going their way. Everything's going great. They keep battling, and they keep winning more territory. And here's the reality. We do not set out with the goal of compromising our integrity. We start off well. We want to do the right things. Your goal is to start strong. Your goal is to finish strong. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Have you ever started a do-it-yourself project? You, you see something on Pinterest or you see something on Etsy or you go to a craft show and you see uh, this thing and you think, wow, I can make that. And so you gather the materials together and you, you get the plans together and you go home and you, you start working on it, put some time toward it. But then you notice... Your project doesn't quite look like the picture on Pinterest. It doesn't quite look like what you saw in that crash. Or, or maybe you start working on it and you go, man, I thought this was going to be fairly easy, but it, it's tough. It's hard. I, I'm not, it's not going the way that I want it to. And so you, you begin to get discouraged. You start thinking, maybe I made a mistake in trying to do this. You start to meet some kind of resistance, and then your enthusiasm for that project fades. It's just, it evaporates. It's gone, right? And so, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I've started something, and it's still not done. But this is what I think happens here. Verse 19. Skip down with me. The Lord was with Judah, enabled them to take possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the people who were living in the valley because those people had iron chariots. Judah started off well, and they had all this victory up in the hills, but then when they come into the valley, there were some people there who had iron chariots. They met some pretty tough resistance. But realistically, were those iron chariots any real obstacle to them? Because remember who's giving them the victory. 
It's not that they're going in and having this great military power and getting victory. It's the power of God that is delivering these nations to them. They had marched around Jericho with trumpets seven times and then shouted, and by the power of God, the walls came tumbling down. They had gone to battle, and and they needed a little more time, and so God made the sun stand still. Do you think these iron chariots are going to be a problem? But yet, they encountered this resistance. It got tough, and their wheel failed. They didn't obey God's word to drive them out. When the going got tough, they gave up. And so the Canaanites that they were supposed to drive from the land, they're still there. They failed to drive them out. And this is the first failure that's recorded. But then there are more. In verse 21, the Benjamites failed to drive out the Jebusites. And so the Jebusites were allowed to stay in Jerusalem. They continued to live there. And then verse 27 through verse 36 detail all the other tribes and how they failed to drive out the Canaanites. And so while they defeated several of them, they didn't drive them out. In fact, it says over and over, they made them slaves. They became forced labor. But they continued to live there among them. But this was not what God had commanded for them to do. They were to drive them out. They didn't. And I think this leads to our first principle from the book of Judges. And that is, and you parents are going to love this, incomplete obedience is failure to obey. Incomplete obedience is a failure to obey. So scientists tell us that the babies can begin to follow simple one-step instructions around 10 months old. And they can follow two-step directions by about 24 months old, so two years. But it seems that when they reach a certain age, they forget how to follow those two-step directions because you'll tell them to do this and then do this. And then they go and they do the first thing or they do the last thing, but they don't do both of them. I don't know how many times I've told my kids to go take the laundry and put it away. Take the laundry up to your room and put it in your drawers And I go up there, and the laundry is upstairs, but it's not in their drawers. And what does it do? It makes me angry. It makes me mad that they didn't completely follow my directions. It's not that hard. It's take it upstairs and put it away. Well, this is basically what Israel does with God's command. He says, you need to drive them out. And they say, well, we defeated them. But we're not going to drive them out. We're going to keep them as slaves. So they obey in part, but they don't obey in full. And failure to completely obey is a failure to obey. In fact, James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the entire law but stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking it all. So is there one point where you have failed to follow God's law? Is there one part where you have not upheld completely what God has told you to do? Well, the reality is the answer is yes, because we all have. Romans 3.23 tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all failed to keep His law. We've all failed to completely obey God. So, and, and it's impossible for us to. It's impossible for us to keep God's holy law in its entirety. 
God has an answer for that, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But why, why did Israel fail? What happened? What, why did they stop winning their battles? Wasn't God fighting for them? Why did God stop fighting for them? Well, look with me at the next chapter. Judges chapter 2 and verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilead to Bochum and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. And I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. But look at verse 2. You are not to make a covenant with the people who are living in the land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? And he says, therefore, I now say I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named that place Bochum and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Bochum means weeping. So why did they fail in their victories? Well, verse 2 says it's because they knew the word of the Lord, but they failed in their devotion to it. Failure to keep God's law and a willingness to compromise with the people of Canaan meant that God would no longer provide victory for them over their enemies. This failure to drive them out means that the temptation to compromise with them is going to stay there with them. The failure to obey God's command and to drive out the Canaanites demonstrated not only a lack of obedience toward God, but a lack of faith in God in his trustworthiness. And so God's response to their lack of faith and their lack of obedience is, I'm not going to drive them out anymore. If you're not going to do what I am telling you to do, then I'm not going to uphold. If you're not going to take uphold your end of the bargain, I'm not going to uphold mine. So he allows them to stay as a thorn in their side. And they will be a constant source of temptation for the Israelites. God challenged Israel's motivations. They they decided that they could not drive out the Canaanites. Those iron chariots were just too much. We can't do it. Those people are just too big, too powerful. We can't do it. And the reality is they can't do it without God's power. But when they stopped following God, then the power was gone. But maybe the reality wasn't that they couldn't, because they could under God's power but more of an attitude that they wouldn't. We're afraid. We don't want to. There's economic opportunities available if I have forced labor. I don't want to drive them out. The reality is not that we can't, that we won't. And maybe there's something in your life right now that God is telling you that you need to do or that you shouldn't do. And you think, I can't do that, God. I can't do it. The reality is, you can, you just won't. Maybe it's tithing. Maybe you know God's saying, you need to tithe. And you say, but God, I don't have enough money, I can't tithe. But the reality is, you can, but you won't. Maybe... It's offering forgiveness to someone. Maybe God's saying, you need to go to this person who has wronged you and you need to tell them that you forgive them. 
You can do it, but will you? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's remaining faithful in your marriage. Maybe it's remaining pure in your singleness. Or maybe it's working with the kids on Wednesday nights at church. You can do it, but will you do it? See, it's easy to compromise your faith. It's easy to make accommodation for the things that God has commanded because you try to justify with, I can't, when the reality is, you won't. Israel's motivation failed. And because their motivation failed, they compromised with Canaan. Not only did they fail in endurance and holding to the word of God, but notice they also failed to transmit the law of God to the next generation. Look at verse 10. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. Okay, they died. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. They had not even brought their own children to the Lord. They had failed to teach them God's law as God had instructed them to do back in Deuteronomy 6. They failed to pass on the law to the next generation. And how often this happens in nations and in in churches and in families. How easy it is for the younger generation to fall away from the Lord because the older generation is not faithful to teach them and to set the example of obedience before them. Chelsea and I were discussing the other day how in the church there's been for many years missing this generation gap. The ones around our age, maybe a few years older, are largely absent. But that's been allowed to continue to the point that now, not only are we missing 40-year-olds and 30-year-olds, but the generation coming behind is also missing. So you have 20, 30, and 40-year-olds that are not in church, that are not coming to Christ. And why is that? It's because the generation of the 60s and the 70s rebelled against God. They failed to pass along the faith to those born in the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s. So here's a question for you. Are you willing to allow the gap to continue to widen? Are you going to do something about it? Well, Israel didn't do something about it. Look at verse 11. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They infuriated the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreth. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. And whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So, they suffered greatly. See, a failure in obedience leads to a moral compromise. Failure in obedience leads to moral compromise. The failure to follow the commands of God left the temptation there within Israel's midst, to go and follow after their gods. And so the toleration of these pagan nations led them to compromise with those nations. 
Israel abandoned Yahweh. They began to seek after these other false gods of the other nations. They turned their eyes away from the Word of God, and then they turned their eyes away from the person of God. Canaan's gods proved to be a snare. They were completely opposed to what God's law stood for. Canaanite religion was polytheistic. They believed in a plurality of gods. It was laden with a sexuality that was derived from an emphasis on fertility. And so it didn't matter who was involved with who. As long as children were being produced, that was the goal. It was a complete perversion for God's people. And Israel was supposed to be a light to these nations. They were supposed to be an example to them to show it what, what it meant to be followers of God. They were supposed to be set apart as holy priests. But they could not be told apart from other nations. They were indistinguishable in practice and in faith from the Canaanites. And this made them vulnerable to being on the wrong side of God's holy wrath. So whenever Israel followed the Canaanite gods who were best represented by Baal, Yahweh gave them over to oppressing nations. And because God is just, He had to punish them because of their rebellion against them. And because God didn't want His people to perish, He also raised up deliverers for them. Look at the next verse, verse 16. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of the marauders. He raised up judges. These aren't these aren't uh, magistrates. These aren't people who sit in a courtroom and have a gavel. These are military leaders. These are, are deliverers for Israel from these enemy nations. And so God raised, they were standing under wrath of God. But God raised up deliverers. And this is where we stand. This is where all of us stand. For we have all rebelled against God. We've all rebelled against God's commands. And because of that, we are all, by nature, children under His wrath. We are sentenced to the curse of death because of our sin. We're on the wrong side of God's wrath, but Christ, Jesus, came to make all the difference. Christ came to, to die on a Roman cross, and He endured God's wrath on our behalf so that we can be saved if we trust in Him. The reality is that we are all morally compromised. We're all morally corrupted. But Jesus was morally faithful to the law. He was faithful to God. He alone was perfect, but He was willing to lay down that perfect life so that He could pay the penalty for your sin. In mind and provide peace with God to us. So if you haven't accept him, accepted Him, you're still under wrath. But if you have accepted Jesus, then you're no longer under God's wrath, but you're under God's grace. See, the reality is God raised up judges. He raised up deliverers for Israel, but He raised up a judge and a deliverer for us in Jesus. God was merciful toward Israel. Despite their continued disobedience, He continued to deliver them over and over and over again, and He does the same 
for you and for me. He's merciful toward you. But look what happens in the next verse. Verse 17. They did not listen to their judges, but instead they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned away from the way of their fathers, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting him. And whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, going after other gods to worship and bow down to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. Moral compromise leads to total corruption. Moral compromise leads to total corruption. God sent deliverers, these judges, their leaders. God sent them, but they refused to listen to them. Sometimes they would follow God for a time. They would, if they had a particularly strong judge, they would stay faithful to God while that judge was alive. But then once he died, there they were again. And this is the pattern that we see over and over in Judges. In fact, all of chapter 2 is just a synopsis. Here's what happens in the book of Judges. God judges Israel. Because of their sin. Israel realizes the error of their ways. They weep and sacrifice to God like they did back in verses 4 and 5. And then they go back right, right back to where they were. Falling after other gods. Have you seen people who do this? I know I have. Come to a revival meeting. Go to church camp. Get all emotional. Get all worked up. Realize, God, I've sinned against you. They come and they... They supposedly repent, and then the next thing you know, there they are doing the same old thing over and over and over again. Maybe that's you, and I know it's been me at times. We fail to trust God, so God chastens us. But what is the remedy? The remedy is true repentance. True repentance isn't just saying, oh, Lord, I've done wrong, but admitting that you've done wrong changing your mind to think like God thinks, to walk away from that and walk toward God. It's not just an act of tears and emotion, although that can be evolved. It's obedience to God's Word. And the reality is we can't be obedient to God's Word in our own power. It requires the power of Christ within us. It requires the Holy Spirit working within us. And so if you try to do it in your own power... You just end up like the nation of Israel. You come in, you, you weep, you repent, you, you, you cry, you set up offering sacrifices. Lord, if you will just save me from, from this situation, I will give you whatever you want. We try to bargain with God, and then, because we never started actually following Him, the next thing you know, you're right back doing the same old thing over and over and over again. See, after the judge, each generation of Israelites became more corrupt than the previous generation. 
And the same is true for our, our individual lives. If we continue to come and we, and we don't see the power of God moving in us because we're not following Him, eventually we get deadened to it. Why should I go and repent? Why should I go and, and cry before the Lord? Why should I weep? It doesn't make a difference. Why? Because you're trying to do it in your own power. You're not allowing the power of God to work in your life. The overall synopsis of the book of Judges is a downward spiral of the people of Israel. They started off doing okay, but then they just keep getting worse, and they keep looking more like the nations around them as they compromise over and over and over again until they are totally, completely corrupted. There's nothing different about them to the surrounding nations, and their moral compromise led to their total corruption. But notice with me how this ends. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. Notice verse 22. I did this to test Israel and to see whether they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it, as their fathers had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately, He did not hand them over to Joshua. Why? Because it was a test. So we see the result of compromise and corruption. Israel had declared to Joshua three times. They swore, we will be faithful to Yahweh. So Yahweh said, let's have a test. God made them a promise that he would be with them. He would give them victory if they remained true to him. God upheld his end of the bargain. He never failed in his covenant with them, but his promises were not unconditional to Israel. It was, if you follow me, if you remain true to me, I will give you victory. Which means that the nation of Israel couldn't act however they wanted and still have the good things that God had for them. Faith and obedience would seal the covenant in Israel's favor. But God, and God wanted that to be so. But when Israel acted in such a way that God decided to find out exactly what their true desires were, when their faith was tested, their devotion to God failed. But God demonstrated His patience and His mercy to them over and over and over. He gave them chance after chance After chance, he was committed to his promise. He was committed to his covenant. They had only one thing that they had to do because God was committed and he kept looking to restore that relationship with them. The only thing they had to do was to return back to God. They had to return to a single-minded, monotheistic faith in Yahweh and Yahweh alone to receive the full blessings of his covenant again. And passing that test was in the nation's best interest. But they failed to return to him. Instead, their complete obedience led to their, their incomplete obedience, rather, led to their moral failure. And their moral failure led to their total corruption. So over the next few, few weeks, we'll see what happened with Israel in a little more detail. 
But the question I have for you this morning is this. When God tests your faith, will you prove to be faithful to Him? Or will you compromise with an unbelieving pagan world? Will you follow Him in full obedience by the power of His Spirit? Or will you fall into corruption because you're trying to accomplish God's will and follow God's word by your own power. So if you haven't already, the only way to get God's power is by believing in His Son and confessing Him as God and Savior. So if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, will you do that this morning? Would you please stand with me as we close with